Good morning. My name is Bolaji Bakari. Uh, my wife here is Toyosi Bakari. We are Nigerians. Uh, we came over to Pasadena last, last summer to study at Fuller Seminary. We've been part of this family, and we're glad to be part of this family, and we'll still be part of this family. Thank you, Pastor, for giving us this opportunity to read the Word of God. Our scripture today is taken from Genesis 26, 1 to 11. Let us stand for the reading of God's Word. There was a fireman in the land besides the previous fireman in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerah. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all this land and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and will give them all these lands, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed, because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerah. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, Isaac said, she is my sister, because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She's really your wife. Why did you say she's my sister? Isaac answered him, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, Anyone who hangs this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much, Balaji and Toyasi. Toyasi. Um, we are so thankful God led you to our church family too. Uh, Fuller was the reason they were led to come here, and so you can already see why I'm mourning and yet rejoicing in God's leading. So thank you for reading scripture today. Um, we, we're coming to the second week in a series on, of messages on the life of Jacob that I'm calling, What is Your Name?, which is a question an angel will ask him a little bit later, and he gets a different name. But some of you weren't here last week, I know. Quite a few were at Grady Oaks Ranch last week, so I thought, how do I bring you up to date with what's happening? Now, last week, we had all of our children in the worship center during the sermon, and I asked them to take out a sheet of paper and draw whatever they thought they were hearing about the story, and so they did many, many children. I have so many pictures. I'll show you a few because I thought it might help bring you up to date with where we are. 
Okay, picture number one is of Isaac and Rebecca, uh, married but without children and wanting them so desperately. So you see the prayer there that they are praying that children will come. And God said yes. So she becomes pregnant. Uh, and yet the, the, these children are, are, are starting to, well, they're starting to fight. You know, like none of the families here ever have happened. But even in the womb, it happens. But third, what's happening, she asked, and the prophecy came. Uh, these children will continue to do battle and eventually, even into the 21st century, those families sometimes do uh, battle with one another. Those children are going to do battle. One of them, the first one who came out was Esau, which means hair, the hairy one, and he was that. And you should see the pictures the children drew of him. And then the second one was named Jacob, meaning heel grabber, trying to get himself ahead. And we got some good ones there as well. And then it fast forwards to when they were young men. And Esau comes out of the field, he is famished, he is hungry, Jacob is there, he has cooked some lentils, some bean stew, and, and, um, and Esau smells it, and so the next picture, he says, give me some of that red stuff, because literally that's, that, that's what he says, and he is willing to give up his birthright for a bowl of beans. Uh, which brings us to the last picture, that someone just, one of the people just summarized it all, that both uh, Isaac and Rebecca so much were focused on prayer and that God answers prayer. So are you, are you up to date? Well, today we're going to come to a, start with a picture that my son made for me that I have up, and I'll show it to you. He calls it Three Waybright Men. He made it back when he was an undergraduate at Westmont College. Now, he, he made this by doing dry point, uh, uh, it's a dry point picture, where he took some plastic and etches the image into the plastic. It just seems almost impossible to me. Then you, you put ink in there and apply it to paper. And what you see there in front is, is my father, his grandfather, then me. And then there is my son, uh, Brandon. So look at that, and I'll just tell you a story. When I used to always go from here and go to visit my father, when he was at the retirement home in Bristol, Virginia. When I would go into that retirement home, every time I walked in, people would look at me and say, oh, you must be Charlie's son. I said, how, how do you know that? Well, the way you walk, it's just like him. The way you smile, it's just like him. I mean, you just, you're just like him. So people could quickly see this, you know, these family traits that are being passed down to me. Now, earlier this year, I traveled up to Oregon, where my son Brandon is now uh, the co-chair of the art department and heading up the design program at George Fox University in Newburgh, Oregon. There was a Monday night gathering, and uh, he was already there, so I walked in, and there was a group of students and faculty members who were standing there, and as I walked in, the first thing they said was, you must be Professor Waybright's father. And again, I said, how... How do you know that? And again, they said, well, just the way you walk, uh, the gestures that you have, the, the way that you smile. So all of this is, helps me to, to make this point to you that our lives in so many ways are deeply affected by our families. Uh, some of it we're not even aware of, as I wasn't. Uh, my mom used to say, it's like imbibing your mother's milk. You just pick up these things within the family. So some of it's beautiful, some of it's neutral, it just is what it is, and I have to say, tell you, some of it is ugly. 
Because ever since uh, sin entered this world in Genesis chapter 3, there have been generation after generation after generation of people passing not only the positive traits, but so many of those imperfect, fallen, sin-filled traits to our children. God knows this. God knows this. God speaks about it in two seminal passages of God's Word. One, when He gave the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, and later in Exodus chapter 34, when Moses went to God and says, I, you know everything about me. I don't know your name. Tell me what you're like. God gave the same thing, revealing what he's like. And let me just show you. I put them together and just show you what he had to say. I am the Lord your God, and I visit, notice that word, visit the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but show love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. What do you, what do you think of that? I'll tell you this, wow, yeah. This, this passage has troubled 21st century Californians a lot and really troubled a lot of people. But a part of the problem is that many of the versions that we have, instead of saying visit the sin of the parents on the children, translate the Hebrew word, which is pakad, that word punished. So I will punish the children to the third and fourth generations uh, when their fathers and mothers have sinned. But you need to know that word doesn't really mean punished. It, it has to do with something that is deposited. Uh, sometimes they've said, uh, translators have said, I don't want to translate that visited because that's too weak. It's kind of like making a little visit here in America. But I tell you, I think punished is just off course. It has to do with something deposited that will again be seen later. It will recur again. And I think what God is saying is those traits, both good and bad, that are seen within our families will be deposited and they will be seen again in future generations. It's just the way life is. You, you know that's true, right? Do, do, are you with me here? You know that's true, don't you? And, and sometimes it's so deep within us that, that we wonder, can it change? And we start seeing some of those things in our families, the, the anger at time, the tendencies toward deceit, the tendencies toward unfaithfulness that are there. God knows about it. And in this uh, message today, uh, I, I want you to know that sometimes I know that when we see the same things that we saw in our parents coming out in us, we have a sense of hopelessness. We wonder, can this ever be changed? I, I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I, I, this has happened in my family for generations. And now I'm seeing it happen to me. I don't want it. Am I therefore trapped? Am I a victim of my own heritage, of my genetic makeup? And that's what I want us to think about today for just a few moments. Um, at the very beginning, I want to tell you something that I want you to take home with you. That one of the things that Jesus Christ came into this world to do is to set us free to set us free from bondages, even if they have tra been traced back through generations of our families. And that's why I've called the title to this message today, Set Free from Family Flaws. Now, you know this is a big topic, right? Yes, it is a big topic. It is so huge that I can't cover everything. I don't even know everything about it. So I can only sort of put my toe in the water, but I think that even an introduction to a topic is a good thing for us as a church. So we can get it right out there in the open and begin as a church community to seek God's guidance about it. And I think the text that we come to today, that Balaji and Toyosi have, uh, have, have read for us, 
uh, is a wonderful place to help us walk through this. It's in Genesis chapter 26. And one of the things you'll see is that uh, Isaac, even though we're talking about Jacob, we're going to think about his family, right? His father Isaac and Isaac's father Abraham had a lot of things in common. And in fact, when you read through the story, uh, well, it just reads like a, a movie sequel. And so I've decided this first point, I'd just call it one of those. Genesis 26, Patriarch 2, Son of Abraham. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. There was a famine in the land. Besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in this land for a while. Now, if you read through the book of Genesis, and I hope you will do that, it is so hard to miss the similarities that this father and son uh, experience. Uh, you can read about Abraham experiencing many of the same things as his son later if you read through uh, Genesis chapter 12, and then again in Genesis chapter 20. It's so similar that some scholars have said, well, we think it's just the same story that some scribe just slapped different names on there, but the uh, narrator of the Bible won't allow for that. Did you notice he said, now, there's a famine that hit in Isaac's time. It's not the same famine as the one before. So what he's wanting to say is, uh, I'm not going to tell you the same story. It's going to be a different story with a different set of characters, but let us learn something from these two similar stories. So what I've done is I've tried to boil down some of those shared things that I see in this story that keep getting passed down. So here, here we go. Number one, both of them faced stress-filled decisions. As we do, they did, and it affected them. So a famine hit Abraham and then later hit Isaac. And Abraham and Isaac, the patriarchs of their families, in their desire to help their families survive so that they wouldn't starve to death, so that they wouldn't die, they decided that they would leave their homeland in order to try to find a place where they could find some food. Let me just say this at this, at this place. Most people don't want to leave their homelands. Most of us love our home. I, be, I bet you love Nigeria. <laughs> you don't want, but there's always some reason why people have to migrate out, and often it's forced out simply to be able to survive. This happens a lot in Genesis and Exodus. It happens uh, in, in the land of Israel. So that later on when Israel would actually get more settled and they would have their kings there, God would often turn back to them and say, remember that you once were also aliens <laughs> trying to find a place to belong once you were even slaves. So whenever people have to migrate for survival into your own land as the people of God, you welcome them as I welcome them. You see the image of God in them. And I don't know about this, but I, I think that point might help us as a church family, the people of God here, to navigate all of these difficult issues related to migration and uh, refugees and immigration that we have. So that's the first thing they shared. They, they, they had a stress-filled uh, decision they had to make. Second, they had these times of faith-filled obedience. So when God told Abraham, leave your country, it doesn't seem like he even asked him, now what's going to be the retirement plan? You know, what, what's going to be the health, health plan I get here? <laughs> he just obeys and he goes out of faith so that whatever else Abraham would do, and sometimes he really messed up, God commended this act of faith and blessed his act of obedience and faith 
So, so here in, in, in verse 2, the same thing happens with Isaac. God somehow steps in and commands him, don't you go to Egypt when he had fled to the Philistine country. And, 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 and Isaac obeys, and when you read the rest of Genesis 26, God blesses him too. Three, what else did they share? A blessing-filled promise. So I preached a whole sermon about this. Genesis chapter 12, God made this promise that through the line of Abraham, all the peoples, all the nations of this world will be blessed. And here as you get into uh, verses 3 and 4, that very same promise comes to his son Isaac. He will be the child of blessing. Through Isaac, all the nations of this earth will be blessed. So you see there are a lot of positive things being passed down in the generations. Do you see that? But, But there's another kind of thing. You want me to head into it? I'm going to anyway. The sin-filled flaws. So the sins of the father, Abraham, recur in the son too. Here's what I've done as I've studied this, and knowing our time would be limited, I've said, what is that foundational sin that God's word identifies for us that is being passed down from Abraham to Isaac? And the foundational one that I see in both of those generations is this tendency to lie and deceive, especially when they're under pressure. So in, in um, two separate episodes in Abraham's life, he lied to try to save his own neck. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 12. When Abraham had to get his family out, they went down to Egypt first. He thought he might be killed by the Egyptians because his wife Sarah was beautiful. And so the, 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 he thought, oh, they're going to want my wife, so they're going to have to get me out of the way. They're going to kill me. So he goes to Sarah, verses 12 and 13 of Genesis 12. I'll read it to you, and you just think about what you think about this. The people in this land, Sarah, will see you and see you are beautiful, and then they will kill me but let you live, as if that's a bad thing. So let's say that you are my sister so that I may be treated well. well look out here. We have some wives who are sitting here. Those of you who are married, how would you like it if your, your husband said this? I'm not even going to look at Chris. I already know what you would think if I would say this to you. They did what Abraham said. And I'll tell you this, that lie and deception did not go well. So he learned from it, right? He leaves Egypt. He goes up to the Philistine country. And in Genesis chapter 20, uh, when he moved from there, he saw King Abimelech. And he thought the very same thing. They're going to see that my wife is beautiful. This king is going to want to kill me and take her into his harem. So he lied that she's really my sister. I'll just say, that did not go well either. So later, when uh, Isaac felt he had to get his family out of their homeland to survive the famine, he does the same thing that Abraham had done. Because if you were here last week, you remember I, I said his wife Rebecca must have been a ravishing beauty. Her name meant captivating. So Isaac took his family into that same country where his father has been. I imagine Abimelech was simply what the king was called probably a generation or two later. And, but, 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 but he did the same thing in the same city as his father had done. He told the king and his men, this, Rebecca is my sister. But you heard it as it was read. After he'd been there for a while, the king was sort of watching outside from wherever kings watch. And he saw, and our version says, caressing uh, 
Isaac caressing Rebekah. The, the, the language is really much more fun than that, these Jewish storytellers. Isaac means laughter, and it says laughing with. But they were laughing as brothers and sisters don't laugh together. So you have to, he said, what is this? I have been tricked. And he goes down and he says, Jacob, um, she's not your sister. She's your wife. And then in verse 10, what have you done to us, Jacob? One of the men might have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon all of us. It seems like even this pagan king was a man of some moral scruples. But of the many things I want to say about this text, I want to say this. We see here the sin of the father being visited on the son. And in coming weeks, we're going to see the sins of that son being visited upon his son. And if we went far enough in the Genesis story, we would see it being passed on to the next generation too. It's a strong pattern of sin passed on. We, when the pressure comes, we hardly even know what we're doing. And it starts to make you wonder when you begin to see these things in your own life. Is there any way that that pattern of generational sin can ever be broken? So I, I'm going to give you a question. Here's my question. When, when I've just sort of walked through this story with you, does this ancient story have anything to say to you, to relate to anything in your own family? Yeah. I'll just tell you, I asked our pastors of this, the ones that you expect to be perfect, kind of. Uh, so I was meeting, we study the Bible together on Tuesdays, getting ready for the sermon, and I said, you know, the Lord has been putting on my heart that I should talk about this, the generational aspects of living in this imperfect world. Do any of you have any of that uh, in your families? I'll just tell you, it was utter silence, just de deathly silence. And I said, well, I, I guess maybe it doesn't have any relevance. Maybe I need to talk about something else. And immediately said, oh, no, we're not saying anything like that. But we want you to know this. This is personal. This is a very deep and personal matter, but we need to talk about it. And so I am. Now, I have talked about this issue, especially when I used to travel in a lot of universities and speak at campus groups. And almost always when I talked about this, I just saw that the muscle that we, so many of us have is that we immediately go and just blame our parents for everything. Well, that's why I messed up. It's all my father's or my mother's fault. It's all, all, all their, their... And I'll tell you, we are affected. We see it. What they have done is visited uh, is visited upon us. And, and I know, but I want you to know that it's not just that. If you and I look into our families for flaws, we'll find them. Amen? If you look, you'll find them everywhere. And if your natural muscle is to blame everybody else, there is plenty of blame to go around. Uh, but I, I keep having to think about it. Uh, the, these men, Isaac and A Abraham, there were things that had been passed on to them. And it really does continue to bring us to that question of, is there ever any freedom to be found from this? And one of the things I've done in my many years of being a, a pastor is in reading through the stories of the people who wanted to live for God and had times of obeying God before Jesus came, there are just these times where they, they knew what God would have them to do. As Paul would say, they had God's law, but they just didn't seem to be able to have the strength to keep it. And so you have failure after failure after failure, and it almost seems hopeless when you read it. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah, 
when you get to chapter 31, he owns up to this. He looks back and he says, God, Jehovah, you have given us your laws and your ways, and and we love them, but we can't keep them. And Jeremiah sees a prophecy. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning with verse 31, he said, the time is going to come when God is going to make a new covenant. He's going to write on your heart his ways. He's going to place within you a new strength and a new power that things can happen that have never happened before, that that tomorrow doesn't have to be the same as today because this new covenant will be written on our hearts. And then Jesus came, the, the hope of the world, the one who brings good news. So think about what he did. He lived the life every other human being should live, but none of us has. All the things that everybody had ever tried to do before he came and failed, he came and lived the way that God would have us to live. He lived the life you and I should live, but none of us has, right? And then this sinless one was willing to die the death that you and I deserve, but we don't have to because he did it in our place. Hallelujah. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so what we found promised is this, the new covenant to write something on our hearts and plant it in our lives has begun already in the coming of Jesus. And when you receive Christ into your life, he gives to us a couple of resources that begin or should begin to make a difference. And then he promises, I will not stop with you until I have completed what I started. The resources he gives us are that certain cleansing from sin made available through the cross, but then also these two gifts, particularly of the Holy Spirit, who when you believe in Jesus, comes to dwell within you. The power that raised Jesus from the dead has enough power to set you free. And the local church, in which this evidence of the Spirit is supposed to be lived out with us praying for one another and exhorting one another and correcting one another and praising with one another until God's work is finished. And the promise is this, when God is done with his work, you and I will be made complete in Christ. Now, the question is how we get from where we are because none of us are are complete yet either, right? And today, we, we can't do say much about this, but I wanna leave you with two words. So I called them to take home, insight and skills. Insight and skills. Now, before the insight and skills can set in, you need to come alive to God. You've got to be born again. (laughs) And that happens when you place your faith in Jesus. If you haven't, today is your day to say, here are my sins, take them, he will. Here's my life, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to become, place my faith in Jesus. So those two words that follow, insight, gain insight. By that, what I mean is that I want you to learn to identify specific areas of generational failure. Uh, the stories of Isaac and Jacob and, and Abraham, uh, they point out this specific area of vulnerability that came through the sins generationally, one after another. For them, that vulnerability that I've shown that the Bible identifies for us is the one of lying and deceiving. Here's, here's what I want you to do. Maybe it's already been happening as I've been speaking. I want you to take some time this week before the Lord Say, Lord, where are those places where the same things that have happened in my family and the family before them 
seem to be recurring in me. So many have said to me, I see the same things coming out in me as I saw in my father or mother. Take time to nail down what those are. Call them out. It could be lying, as it was with Abraham and Isaac. It could be unfaithfulness to relationships. It could be pornography. It could be anger. Please don't do this so that you can say, well, Dad had this problem, so it's his fault that I am the way that I am. Well, there is some fault there, isn't there? But it's not all his fault. It's not all his fault. He, too, was this recipient of generation after generation, from going back uh, to the very beginning of fallenness and failure and sin. So what I want you to do is identify what that problem is and then take personal responsibility for the decisions that you make. Brothers and sisters, you and I are made in the image of God. You and I make real choices that aren't forced on us simply because of what's gone on before. So get rid of that victim's mentality Yes, your family affects you. It does. But your family is not you. What Jesus does, he brings us into a relationship with a different kind of a father. And our prayer is that with his work, that our lives can begin to reflect that father more than anyone else. I'm not saying when I say this that I minimize any of those sins of those who have gone on before you. They are serious. Have you ever thought about Abraham and Isaac's sin? I mean, this very thought that to save their own skin, they they threw their wives under the bus. I mean, they knew it. Uh, The the men had such authority that they had to, I'm sure, what woman would ever want to do this? Uh, And yet they did it anyway. That's not to be excused. Uh, And it's kind of given rise to even some of the movements in our own day that are saying this sort of thing is just not right. So I'm not excusing those kinds of things. I am just telling you today that one of the reasons why Jesus came is that there can be a new power, that your future can be different. You can break, you can break that pattern of generational sin. So I want you to take the time to identify where those areas are and then give those over to the Lord. And then the second thing I want you to do is to gain some skills about how to live differently. And I think I put it this way. Utilize the resources God provides to develop the skills so that when those pressure times come, you can live differently. Uh, What are they? Well, I told you, it's in the context of a local church like ours where we're we're to experience the love of God and to help one another walk through these things. In fact, the Apostle Paul would talk about this all the time. You've been knit together into a local church family. And he said, both Jew and Gentile have been brought together. You need one another. And together, he says, we experience how wide and love and high and deep is the love of God so that when, when we do life within the community of faith with the power of the Holy Spirit, you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In fact, that we can begin to look more like our heavenly father than our earthly father's. And it, it's to happen. And so worship in church as you're doing right now, this is an essential part of it. I find so often when I worship with you, God really speaks to me, and I hope the same thing happens when you gather here with God's word. We, we hear God's voice when we read it alone, but this worship together is so important. Not everything can happen here. You need to find some close Christian friends or a small group to be a part of because we can't even get to know one another enough to correct one another, right? 
or to hold one another accountable or to really love and support one another. If you haven't found a small group, go through the Connect banner at the end and we'll try to help you begin to find one. Those groups have to be grace-filled because all of us are going to have to share some things where we need mercy and grace and they need to be open and transparent. And if you haven't been able to find one, if you just have one or two friends who are Christ-centered people, who won't put you down because you failed yet again, but then also hold you accountable to be different. That's what I pray you might experience here in the life of our church here at Lake. So, the life of the family, seconds, prayer support. You know, each time we meet in worship, I say at the end of the service, here to my left, to your right, we are gonna have pastors and prayer counselors here ready to meet with you. Because here as we gather to worship, sometimes God speaks to you. And you just need somebody to pray with you. And I believe that so many of these generational kinds of sins are really battles not against flesh and blood. There have been other forces at work, forces not as great as God is. And we need the liberating power of the Holy Spirit to be prayed over us and spoken into our lives. So we want to offer prayer support and and, and ask you that you will utilize that when you see ongoing failure happening in your life. Third, I want to recommend a couple of books. Uh, A sermon like this one can't begin to address all the questions you might have and all the knowledge any of us need to know. Uh, It's kind of like, did I tell you at the beginning, it's kind of like putting your toe in a big ocean. (laughs) You've only started, so I thought you need some more resources. So I'm going to mention two books that I recommend to you. For all of you who come from um, what I call extended family heritages, do you know what I mean by that? That's almost any family that wasn't from North America and Western Europe. (laughs) Asian families, African heritage families, those extended families where families are tied together in different ways from our nuclear families. I have a book that I'll recommend to you. It's called Following Jesus Without Dishonoring Parents. It's an older book, but I just find so much wisdom in it. When I used to travel a lot to other countries, especially into Asia or parts of of Africa, I carried these books with me and I would give them to the seminary or university president. And almost every time when I would come back the next day, the president would say to me, that book was written for me. So I think that it might be written for some of you. And for the rest of us who come from more nuclear families, as we often have here in the U.S., this book I find to be really helpful too. Unlocking Your Family Patterns finding freedom from a hurtful past. We did have some of these books on the, um, on the table. They may all be gone, but, but you might be able to find them as well. And finally, you, you might need some referral because sometimes we just need one-to-one help from someone uh, who's a Christ-centered person but has been trained professionally to dig into some of these things that are so deeply ingrained. If you say, where do I find that sort of person? We have a hotline to help you. And that number is there. It's also in your worship folder, 626-844-4794. Well, my time to conclude is here. So I'm going to take you back to where I started with with what God revealed about himself. Here's what he said. I, the Lord your God, visit the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation, but show love to a thousand generations of those who love me. I I want you to leave church today with a newfound hope. I want you to notice the juxtaposition there of how the visitation of the sins goes only to the third or fourth generation, but God's love goes to the thousandth generation. It's just shouting out at us. 
that the love and grace and mercy of God is greater than human sinfulness, that our heavenly Father loves us, and he wants to heal us when our hearts are broken. He wants to set us free when we feel imprisoned. So I want you to learn to just call out to him as your father and to ask for his renewing grace to be seen this week in your life and in your home. Trust his love for you. He never gives up on you. So don't you ever give up either. Our Father sent His one and only Son to die in our place and then rose again to forgive your sins, to heal what is broken, and to set you free, even, even from family flaws. And it will be to His glory. Amen. I want thank you. We're going to be doing what, this is a perfect time to do this, sharing communion today. So let me lead us in prayer as our musicians come. Father, take this, your word, and use it in our lives to set us free, to make, when we leave church, make things different from when we came in. Do your work to your glory in your way, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to be going to communion now. Um, to let you know if you're visiting, this is the Lord's table, not Lake Avenue's church's table. So if you've come to be with us and you've placed your faith in Jesus as Savior and you're seeking to follow him as the Lord of your life, what we do is, and you come and join us, just come forward from wherever you are. We have tables in the middle, we have them up in the balcony, and we have them right here in the front. So you can come and take the elements, the cup and the bread, take them back to your seat, and we'll receive it together all the way to my right, your left, there is a table for those who need gluten-free elements. And if you can't get out from where you are, our stewards will bring it out to you. As the Lord leads you, come, come, and we'll receive communion together.